All right, well, always fun to have fun in marriage. We talked about that last week, but I want to go through uh, what we've been talking about. We're talking about a series called From This Day Forward. We make a commitment when we get married that from this day forward, we are going to stay together for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. But what happens? Struggle, challenges happen in marriage. And so what we want to do is make some recommitments today to say from this day forward, if we make these five commitments in our relationships, we're going to see what God does and how he brings peace and how he brings wholeness, how he brings that commitment together. And so we've been talking about five different commitments is our goal for the series. And today we're going to cover the fourth one, but I want to review the first four. So let's go through these uh, one at a time. And the first one is, do you remember what the first commitment is? Seek God. And what we talked about with seek God was that God is really our number one and our spouse is our number two, not the other way around. And that we would together with our two seek our one, that we would do that together. And if we're not married or if we're preparing for marriage, that we would Uh, seek our number one while preparing for our number two and while waiting for our number two. And so how do we do that together? What was the number one thing that we said to do? Pray together. Now, some of you have said, you know, we tried to, we wanted to, we didn't, we've gotten off track. From this day forward, start today, start tonight, pray together. It is one of the number one determining factors for marital success is when you pray together and seek God together in that way. Uh, Being here together in church is also a great way to do that. Great. The second commitment. What's the second commitment? Fight fair. Any of you have any arguments in the last couple of weeks and maybe thought of some of these things? We looked at a couple scriptures, one which said, be, uh, be quick to what? Listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry, right? And we talked about not giving the devil a foothold and that when we fight unfair, what we're really doing is we're fighting against each other versus saying, hey, we're on the same side and we're fighting for our marriage. We're not fighting against each other. There's no winners or losers here. It's for our marriage. And so we've got to get on the same page and work through those things. And we talked about how to do that. Then last week, how many of you guys been doing your homework? Last week's message was have fun. All right. You guys been doing your homework? Everyone's like, I'm not answering that question. What was our homework? You missed a good homework assignment last week. Well, we talked about having face-to-face time, communication, getting, uh, you know, how does intimacy uh, form in a relationship through detailed personal one-on-one communication, focused attention. We talked about the side-to-side time of being together, doing activities, engaging in in life together, doing fun things. And then we talked about belly button to belly button time, skin-on-skin time. How do we really breed the intimacy in the physical realm in relationship? And that we need to add some of those sparks and that life and that fun into marriage. And so that was last week. You'll want to listen to that podcast if you missed that. All right, and then this week we're going to be looking at another fourth commitment. Do you know what this one is? Stay pure, all right, we've, and we'll get back to that in just a minute. And then next week, we'll wrap up the series with a very important commitment, which is this, never give up. Say that with me, never give up, all right? These five commitments, if you will make these commitments, your marriage has a tremendous opportunity to just be a fulfilling, enriching experience and a lifetime journey together with your spouse. So today, we want to get into the fourth one, stay pure. Now, we had a lot of fun over the last couple of weeks. Today, we get a little more, a little more serious. Because we're dealing with a pretty important topic here of purity. And this applies to those of you who are married. And this applies to those who aren't married in an equal way and maybe in different arenas, but just as important. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you are married? Raise your hand if you're married. Leave your hands up. How many of you would like to be married someday? Raise your hand. Keep them up, everyone. Keep them up. All right. How many of you have a goal to commit adultery in marriage? All right. 
How many of you say, you know, I have a goal that I want to commit adultery in marriage. How many of you have a goal to become addicted to pornography? How many of you have a goal in marriage to have an emotional affair with somebody? Interesting. Nobody. So I guess it doesn't happen, right? It doesn't happen in marriages because we commit to one another and we say, from this day forward, I have eyes only for you and I will never leave you. You know, I'm, I'm always going to be focused on you. You have me for our whole life. But what happens is when we don't plan not to, we will. Those things happen. Those are the challenges. Those are the temptations. And what we see happen in, in high statistics, others in the United States would answer this question also with like 90% would say, uh, would believe that adultery is always wrong. And yet statistics show that anywhere between 50 to 75% of, of married couples and relationships can have some level of, of infidelity that can take place, emotional, physical, sexual, in different ways. And so we see this disparity between what we want and what really happens. Why is it that way? Why, do, why does this impurity happen? Now, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, let me just read this to you. It says, uh, Paul's writing, or the author of Hebrews, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual, sexually immoral. The marriage bed be kept pure. Marriage should be honored by all. God will judge. Does God take purity seriously? Absolutely. Purity matters and it's important to God. Now why is purity in marriage increasing? Now, there are statistics that say that in the decade of the, of the 2000s, the first decade of the 2000s, infidelity in marriage, unfaithfulness, more than doubled according to statistics that they, that they track. Why is this increasing? Let me just go over a couple of factors that I believe that staying pure is harder today than ever before, and before marriage and, and in marriage. And one of the reasons is that more temptations exist today than in the past. Would you think that's safe to say? More temptations exist today than in the past? Now, in, in the past, if you wanted to, um, you know, have a, have a sexual exploitation, you'd have to maybe find an actual person, go find a prostitute or somebody else or, or go out. Or if you wanted to look at pornography, you had to find somebody or know somebody that has a, had a magazine or you had to buy it behind the counter and, and it was hidden behind, you know, as a kid, I remember seeing them behind the 7-Elevens, you know, like behind the, uh, you know, whatever was blocking in, in front of it. And, and the access to those things was more limited. Today, probably the number one reason temptation is so much stronger in a lot of these areas is social media and technology. Would you agree? Right now, all of us that have smartphones could probably pull up pornography right here on our phone, right here in a church service, right here in a school. It's, it's accessible right here in front of us. It's in our pocket 24-7. Facebook, social media. Did you know I was looking at some, some statistics that in, in some, some lawyers and some statistics bear out that in about 80% of divorce filings, some kind of social media and Facebook is mentioned in, those, in that paperwork. Whether that's, again, texting or whether it's Facebook. And, and what happens is you have access to an old flame, to a relationship, maybe to, to somebody who you meet in a chat room. There's all kinds of things that happen and the temptations are everywhere around. You can do webcams and live chats. It's all there to access and, and to get lost in this technology world. And so the temptations are right there and, and, and impurity is knocking right on our door. It's 24-7 access to those things. The second reason is people are getting married later. And so what happens is you, later to try to stay pure longer is more and more difficult. But also the later you get married and if you are given to a promiscuous lifestyle or, or open as culture is to engaging in physical and sexual relationships and, 
and, and in these things, you have more and more partners before marriage. And what some say is, well, you know, I'm, I'm preparing for marriage. I'm trying to find the right one, and we're seeing what works. We're seeing what doesn't. We move in together, live in together, and it's just preparing us for marriage. You know what that's doing? It's preparing you for divorce. What you're doing is you're practicing for divorce because the number one reason why relationships break apart, dating relationships, living together relationships, and even marriage, is it's cheating. And so if that happens already before marriage, you're practicing on how to break up, how to be unfaithful, how to not stay committed and pure in marriage. And so this, this longer run on and trying to avoid you know, impropriety and all those things gets harder and harder to do the longer we go and the more and more sexual baggage there is. And that comes into marriage. And that's why this, this talk about purity isn't just in marriage. For those of you who aren't married, to stay pure in your thoughts, in your actions, in your heart is so vital to a healthy marriage later. And so these principles are just as important uh, before married marriage as they are afterward. And so you're just pretending to be married, doing married things, and, um, and it's not leading to, to fulfillment. A third reason is a growing sense of entitlement. And that simply is, I want to be happy. I want to be happy, and I want to be happy now. I want fulfillment. I want fulfillment now. I want gratification. I want it now. And there's no self-denial. There's no boundaries. There's no, you know, anticipation. I want it right now. And so if I want it, I'll go and get it. Now, now as I've done premarital counseling with couples, um, some have, uh, you know, moved in together. We see that, obviously, more and more in our society. And one thing that I see in those couples that are getting married, that, that are living together, there's very, well, I should say, there's a lot less sense of anticipation for their wedding. They're already living together. They're, they're, they're sharing a household together. And it all seems really logical. It's, it's more financially, you know, economical. And, and it's better for a housing situation. And have every reason why this is, this is better. But you know what? What I see in those couples versus those that aren't living together or those that are waiting and saving themselves physically for marriage is a heightened sense of anticipation for the wedding day. What's going to happen when we start our life together? What's going to happen when I carry you over the threshold? And did you know that the most sexually satisfied couples in marriage are those who were virgins prior to marriage? The best thing you can do as an unmarried person to, to have the most enriching experience physically, sexually in marriage is to be a virgin beforehand. If you want a fulfilling life, because you are not carrying a lot of that baggage. Now, that's not everyone's story. And there's obviously a lot of grace and forgiveness and a chance from this day forward to take a new path. But statistics bear that out. And so what I'll say for some of these couples um, before the, the, the wedding, if they're living together, I'll challenge them. I'll say, I want you to move out. I'd like you to move out, go into your parents' house or whatever. Build in some anticipation again about what it means to join your lives together before God and, and start that journey together and, and build in that anticipation and what God can do in that. So we see there's different reasons why impurity is increasing. And we can just say, you know, that's just the way it is. It's our society. It's all around us. You, you know, like even the movie ratings, right? What was an R-rated movie in the past is probably now like a PG, <laughs> PG-13 you know, over, the, over the years. And what we see on television, what's allowed, and what's shown even during prime time. And there's this general desensitizing to those things, and we're flooded with it through the media and, and, and on our own desire many times. You can't build a life of purity on a foundation of sin. And I think if we want to have a purity in relationship, a purity in marriage, this sin has to be dealt with. These things, this impurity, the sexual 
a lot of it related sexually, obviously, when we're talking purity here, has to be dealt with. And so how are we going to do that? How do we keep the marriage bed pure as we just um, read in that scripture? And I want to look at two, two sides of this. How do we stay pure? If our commitment is to stay pure, how do we do that? We're going to look at inward and outward purity. And first, I want to start with the outward purity. Now, outward purity is behavior. When we're talking about the outward purity, we're talking about our actions. We're talking about the things we do or don't do and the, and the safeguards and things that we put in place. Now, Scripture in Ephesians 5, chapter 3 says, But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. Ooh, that's pretty, that sets the bar pretty high, doesn't it? There can't even be a hint of sexual impurity, immorality of any kind. No, any kind of impurity. And what are we talking about here? The things that we've already been mentioning. But sometimes it's not just, you know, I went out and committed adultery with somebody else. I mean, that's obvious. That's an obvious breaking of the bond. But what other things are there? What other things are a hint of sexual immorality? I'm just looking at a few images on the computer. I'm just seeing a couple things. I'm just letting my glance linger a little longer. What about the flirtations? You know, I'm not, I'm not really trying, you know, to do anything bad, but I'm just kind of seeing, do I, still, do I still have it? Do I still got it? Somebody's still noticing me. Does he st- do, do men still notice me? Do women still notice me? Oh, it's just, just for fun. Those kinds of things. Fifty Shades of Grey, mommy porn. I thought this was only a men's issue. You know, oh, it's just those, those fun movies. You know, Magic Mike, woo. I don't know. It's just for fun. Just the, just the ladies, just the girls going out. Yes, I just said Magic Mike in a sermon, in a message. <laughs> it's those little things that sometimes maybe we don't think is a big deal, but those are hints of impropriety, dressing provocatively, those kinds of things. Now, what's an impurity of any kind? You know, I, I find our obsession with water in this country very fascinating. You know what our obsession with clean drinking water, right? All these bottled, signature, fine waters. Any of you have those? How many of you have an RO system in your house? You know, like, we've got this, like, five-stage filter system in our house. We've got really good water. I remember as a kid, right? Garden hose, right? You just drink it down. Oh, it's so refreshing. You know, you're at the lake, you're at the beach, you're drinking the water. You're, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And now it's like... Look at your water when, the, when the, the water guy comes to your house. Look, see, this is normal tap water, and here's our filter water. See the cloudiness? See that sediment in there? Ooh, you're right. I wouldn't want to drink that. You know, we have this nasty, horrible water that's going to kill us coming out of our tap. And so we see in this area, we're looking for anything that's a little bit impure. We don't want it in our water. Not impurity of any kind. But it's more than just kind of dirt in our water when we're talking about a hint of impurity, immorality in our, in our marriages. We've got to not think of it like water, we gotta, like, like dirt. We've got to think of it like cyanide in our water. If I had a little glass here of, of water, and I said, I'm just going to put one, one drop of water in this ethos water that you buy at Starbucks, right, or whatever. Well, why would you go to Starbucks to buy water anyway? Um, would you take a drink? It's just one drop of cyanide. We have to understand that impurity in our marriage is poison. And maybe that's too clean of an example. And maybe, as another pastor put it, you've got to think of it as like putting, um, it's not like just a hair on your hamburger. It's like cat puke on your hamburger. I mean, maybe we just need a stronger visual. It's like cat puke on your hamburger. It's not like, you know, just a little hair and, you know, most of you don't return it, but, oh, we can still eat it or whatever. If it's, you know, your, uh, hair from your family member, you know, whatever. This is like cat puke, right? I don't know if you, do you know cat puke? 
it's pretty nasty. Like we have, we've got some stray cats in our neighborhood, and, and it wasn't it was a few weeks ago. We had um, we had some friends over for the first time, or, or coming over that night. I don't remember. We hadn't been out our front door, and the, the doorbell rang, and we opened up the door, and right on our welcome mat, there was just a <laughs> from our neighboring cat. I was like, that's gross. That's nasty. Welcome to our home. Right now, imagine scooping that up, putting it on your burger, and going, I'm going to take a nice big juicy bite of cat puke. Now, why am I dwelling on cat puke? Because we have to learn to see sin and this impurity as ugliness, as, as destructive, as, as, as damaging. And so maybe you have a little bit of a different, different mental image <laughs> going forward. But here's another scripture. And, and, and as we talk about how do we correct this outward behavior, what do we need to do? There's a passage in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 8, and it's talking about the house of an adulterous woman. And here's a man who's giving advice to a younger man. He says, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Keep to a path far from her. I think what happens many times, if we put it into our own setting today, is we try to see how close to the line can we get. Well, I haven't really cheated. I haven't really done anything bad. it's, It's just this, that, and the other. And we try to see how close we can get. And here the advice from Proverbs is, If there's the door to her house, find a path far from her. Don't go near that door. Is there anything wrong with going near the door? I mean, you're just walking by the door. The sidewalk just happens to go by there on the way to my house, right? And he's saying, look, you're flirting with something. There's temptation that's knocking at your door. And and what we've got to learn is to say, we've got to take our path from what's the line and try to get so literal on the line and say, we've got to bring that way back. And we've got to find a path that is far from her. And the question I have for you is, what are the boundaries? What are the things you're putting between you and some of these challenges, some of these temptations, that are going to help you have a buffer between falling and between that impurity in your marriage? What are some things that you can do? Well, first of all, you can put some boundaries in place. And as I mentioned, social media is a very big thing. And as I was preparing for this marriage, I was, I was re- reminded of, a, of something important to do. And and, and our computers, right? Especially men. I know. I've dealt with that challenge myself. You know, we have a war to fight. We have to see this, this impurity in our marriages. We have to see this as a war that we have to win. And what happens is many people stop fighting the battles. And you start saying, you know what? I can't seem to win a battle. I'm just giving up. I'm throwing in the towel. And what you need to do is you need to say, I am going to war against this. And I've got to win battles. I may lose some along the way, but I'm not going to lose this war. And so we've got to put some boundaries in place. And I was reminded of uh, just the idea, do you have any software on your computer that helps block inappropriate material? I know it can be a pain, and I haven't done that before in the past, and I can rely on my own. I'm, I'm, I, can, I can keep from those things. I don't you know, need to go there. But this week I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I was inspired by another pastor, and I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to install this software on my, on my laptop. And so it's called X3 Watch. There's other things out there. X3 Watch. And you can go and you can install it on your computer. But what's so interesting about this, it's not just blocking it and then later, you know, you unblock it and watch whatever you want. What this does is it sends a report to a person of your choosing every week of your online activity. It's outside accountability. So I called a pastor friend of mine who sits on our board. He's an outside member of our board. And I emailed him and I just said, hey, can I put you down as an accountability partner? You'll get a report once a, once a week on, on questionable sites or things that, that may have come up on the report. And, and so knowing somebody else is going to see your activity changes things, doesn't it? 
And he begins to say, hey, I'm, I'm accountable to somebody else. And, and, and is that a sign of weakness? Yes, it is. <laughs> it is a sign. It's an admitting weakness. It's an admitting to say, I need some other help in this area. And I'm going to create a boundary. But it's also a sign of strength to say, I'm going to take a step to do that. I'm challenging you, men, can we do that? And, and put that on your phones and in different places to say, let's create an extra boundary. And let's create lines of accountability in this area to where we watch from that, that line. Other things we can do. When you're having, you know, how much are you spending time alone with the opposite sex? Are you alone together, you know, at, at work, in an office? Do you close those doors or do you keep the doors open? Do you meet in public? Those things are important boundaries to consider. Do you tell your spouse when you're meeting with somebody of the opposite sex? Are you open about your schedule and your routines? One thing that I think is a clear telltale sign of impurity is anything you're keeping secret. Right? I mean, if you're keeping something secret or you don't want something to be found out by your spouse or you don't want to tell them, even if it seems maybe kind of innocent, you're not telling them about an appointment you have. You're not telling them about that friend, that old girlfriend or that old boyfriend that just friended you on Facebook and sent you a message. And you're not telling them. Secrets are a telltale sign that there is impurity and there's something that, that's coming between you and your spouse. And so some very things of these boundaries is, is do you share passwords with your spouse? Can they check your Facebook? Can you check theirs? Our, our, you know, for Shannon and I, our emails and our Facebooks are, are open to each other. I don't ever have to worry. You, do, you can't hop on my computer. You can hop on my computer. You can look. You can see my messages. You, know, you can read my journal. <laughs> it, it, there's not, there's not going to be that secret between us, and you have that accessibility. And some of you may need to share some passwords and to say, hey, it's, it's fine. You, you can check my email, whatever. Because those are the areas where, where, where things can, can become hidden. And so we just need to create some external boundaries, maybe the places you go, things that are, you're more prone, that, that, that are triggers for you in different ways. That, and, and, you know, this last week was interesting. I was flipping through the channels, and I came, by, I came across one of these, uh, you know, uh, church channels. And uh, I don't know if you know, Charles Stanley was preaching. He's a pastor, a longtime pastor out of Atlanta. And he was talking about temptation. So it caught my attention, especially in light of what we're talking about today. And he said, um, you have to be very aware of your weaknesses. And here's the thing. Where are you most weak? Where are you most weak? Because you know when you're most weak and most tempted. You know who also knows that? Satan. (laughs) Is he going to tempt you at your strongest point? No. He's going to tempt you at your weakest point. And you have to know that. And so here, and, and then uh, Charles Stanley said these four things. He said, you have to remember this little acrostic, and I thought it was good, so I'm, I remembered it. It was halt, which means stop, <laughs> right? If, something, you know, if you want to stop from crossing the line or stop from doing something you're going to regret, remember these four things. When are you most tempted? When is it most difficult for, for us? And it's when you're hungry, H. When you're angry. When you're lonely. Or when you're tired. Hungry angry, lonely, or tired. That is when we are most prone to doing something that we're going to regret and that can have damaging uh, consequences in our relationship. Sometimes, you've seen those, those Snickers commercials, right? The Betty White, you know, like, you're being such a Betty White. Have you guys seen that? Like, people are getting all really, they're not being themselves, they're being all cranky, and you can't really figure out the commercial. And then they realize, like, they're, they're saying, you know, here, have a Snickers, right? And then once your hunger is satisfied, now you're not so cranky, you're not so vulnerable, you're not so prone. And sometimes maybe it's just a hunger that you need to, to satisfy because it, your body is weak. When was Jesus tempted? When he was hungry. 
when he was weak, our physical weakness in our bodies makes us more prone to give in to some kind of sexual temptation and impurity. And hunger might even be just a physical hunger. Anger. You just had a fight with your spouse. You just had a fight with your boss, and now you're just looking for an escape. You're just looking for something else, or maybe you're looking for comfort, and you're looking for it in the wrong places. Or you're just looking to escape into fantasy or in some other area. That's when it becomes dangerous. And so how do you deal with your anger? Reference week two, fight fair. How do you deal with that to keep your relationship um, you know, not, not separated in that way? Loneliness or being alone. Right? Most men aren't out there, you know, looking at pornography in the middle of, you know, uh, Burger King, right? Or, or, you know, on a Sunday morning or in the living room with the family around, right? It's aloneness. It's loneliness when you're feeling separated, when you're feeling those things. And you say, I, I'm just going to find a cheap substitute. Instead of working on the, the strength of your marriage and on those relationship pieces, the loneliness yields into that. Men on business trips. I've, over the years, I've talked with all kinds of guys in our, in our church, men, and, and dealing with different challenges and this is this is definitely one of one of the biggest ones and when you're tired when your body is just physically worn out and it doesn't doesn't just mean tired from a day it could be a season where you're feeling weak where you're feeling beat up and you just have no reserves temptation takes energy to fight it takes will to fight right it takes you have to have a fight and if you've got no fight because you're hungry you're tired you're angry you're lonely it's just easier give in and so you have to know those things you have to see those things and then go eat a snickers <laughs> take a nap <laughs> when you're lonely get around people call somebody and say hey you don't always have to say, oh, i'm dealing with this just get around people or maybe you have an accountability partner somebody that you can talk to and say hey just just ask me about this and, and keep me accountable to these things in my life you know scripture says flee from sexual immorality and and jesus said look if your if your eye causes you to sin do what Plug it out. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. There'd be a lot of one-armed cyclopses running around, wouldn't there, if we took this literally, right? What'd you do? Uh, I can't tell you, you know. Um, but if, if this was you, right, if you were a one-armed cyclops because you were struggling with some of this stuff and you knew that was the, the punishment that had to be exacted because would you be more or less likely at this point to sin again with your eye or with your hand? Yes or no? <laughs> no, because you would go blind and you'd lose your arm. And now you would be much more, it would be much more difficult to sin, wouldn't it? But what, what, what Jesus is saying here is, look, we have to take some steps. This is serious. And we have to take it serious. And if there are things that are in our way, what is a specific step that you can take? Again, the social media boundaries, video games, movies, internet, physical relationships, proximity with people in the workplace, old friends, uh, places you go yes it's weakness but there's a part of us having to admit weakness that's what that's the first part to being able to overcome some challenges in our life is to say i need to put some boundaries because i don't want to walk near that door i know what happens when i go near that door i need to take a path far from her so that's that's the outward purity and that's the idea of behavior now we could stop there and say just just get it right would you you messed up, now do it right. You messed up, now do it right. You messed up, now do it right. Now, now put another boundary in. You've got to work harder. You're not doing enough. You don't want it enough. You keep failing. You keep giving in to temptation. We could stop there and say you're just not working hard enough. But there's another level to purity, and it's inner purity. And this is where Jesus isn't playing fair. This is where Jesus isn't playing fair. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully 
has already done what? Committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, Jesus, that's just not right. Right, men? You're sitting by your wives. I mean, come on, I'm in front of my wife here. I'm in front of everybody. This just seems like impossible. This seems, and and women, this is as as true for you as it is, is for men. To not even have a thought, to never even, you know, it's just in my thought. I haven't acted on anything. I haven't even looked at it. It's just a thought in my mind. And Jesus is saying what you have done is you have committed adultery. That just doesn't seem right. It seems like it's impossible to win in this area of purity. And in some sense, that's what Jesus is saying with all parts of the law, right? He says, if you even just say, you know, that you, that you hate your brother, you've committed murder against your brother. What? See, Jesus takes things and he says, look, on your own, you're going to fail. And we can have all these external boundaries, but when Jesus draws the line and he says, it's way over here, it's already in your thought life, when you go from that initial temptation and you begin to engage that, even for past going, okay, I'm moving on, good job. But you, anything past that? He's saying that you're already starting down that path and you're committing adultery. But what Jesus is saying is, you can't do it on your own. Now you've got to fight, you need to put these boundaries, you've got to do the things that you can. But what he's after is saying, this is an internal purity. I'm after your heart. And this is what, this is what God wants. He wants us at the center of, of that purity. And he's saying, look, you can't do it on your own. You need me. You need the Holy Spirit. You need the guidance. As I said earlier, there, this is a war. This is not a one-time battle. And, and, and the danger, I think, for any of us in relationship and marriage in this area or with any kind of addiction or sin in our life is when we stop fighting. We just sort of resign ourselves to say, that's just who I am. That's just how it is, and we stop fighting the battles. This is a war. You're going to lose some battles. You're going to win some battles. But the goal is to win more and more battles. And eventually, God will give you victory, and you begin to move on to some other things. But keep fighting. And what God is saying, I'm fighting for your heart. Now, in, in, in the Old Testament, the hero, one of the greatest heroes of the Old Testament is David. King David, right? I mean, he's exalted as a man after God's own heart. And what did he do? He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And it began with a process of just seeing, just watching her, seeing her bathe, and, 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 and he wanted her. And he called her in, and he slept with her. Even though she was married, and he sends her husband to the front lines. It's, it's a very intriguing story of how he tries to cover up and how he tries to hide it, right? Remember I talked about secrets and hiding is a very good sign that there's some impurity that's driving a wedge between you and your spouse. He was trying to hide those things, and, and then he gets confronted with it. And, and, and at first, there's resistance, and there's anger, and, and, and we don't want to deal with the impurity in our lives. And I, and I want to challenge us from this day forward, how are you going to respond? Are you going to get defensive? Are you going to say, this is how I am? This has just been a pattern in my life. It's fine. It's not affecting me. It's not having any impact. You don't understand my spouse. You don't know our marriage, how unfulfilling it is. I need somebody to support me. I just need to have a voice. I need to have that physical interaction. I just need to have that outlet. I just need to have that escape. Those are some of the the reasons, the way we try to hide it. We get defensive. But God isn't looking for that. It begins, there's some remorse where you go, man, I don't feel right about that. You know, I've never had somebody come and talk to me that's dealing with any of these issues in their marriage and saying, it feels great. Being addicted to pornography is awesome. I feel so good about myself. And, and it's, just, it's just deepening my marriage and the relationship between my wife and, and you know, or somebody who's, who's cheating 
or who's flirting around or who is engaged in an online relationship with somebody. Oh, that's, it's, just, it's so good for our marriage. I feel great about it. No, there's, a, there's a, any sin, short-term benefit, what we think is benefit, short-term pleasure, long-term pain. We have to ask ourselves, is it worth it? Is the momentary worth what it's doing to the longevity of our relationship and the wholeness of our marriage and what it's doing to us? But then there's this other level. It's not just between you and your spouse. It's between you and God. Because what God is saying is, look, you're not just committing adultery against someone else. You're committing adultery against God. You're committing a sin that separates you in that relationship from God. And David was confronted with this. And he writes this amazing psalm, Psalm 51. I, I love Psalm 51. And in the psalm, he writes this after he's been confronted with this sin. And he didn't just, it wasn't just adultery. He ended up, you know, sending, sending uh, Bathsheba's husband to die in battle, essentially murder on his hands, blood on his hands. And he's confronted with this. And here, just listen to some of this or turn with me in Psalm 51. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I mean, isn't that the desire? Is just this purity. We started there, right? That there must be no hint, anything that puts impurity in. We want to be pure in our spirit, in our relationship. And here, David is saying, look, I'm not just going to say it's how I am. This is just how it is. He's seeking God to say, I want that purity. From this day forward, God, wash me clean. Verse 3, 4, I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. He's admitting to what he's doing and what he's done. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Isn't that interesting? It, he understands I've sinned against you. It's not just been, not just to my spouse, not just to another person. But this is, this is a sin against God. And he's, and he's recognizing that. And then in verse 5, he says, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from where? The heart. So you can teach me to be wise in my inmost being. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation. I think that's the promise here. We're fighting a war. We may be losing some battles. We might fight temptation in different ways. But we keep fighting, and we say, God, renew me. Create a clean spirit within me. I want there to be purity in my life, in my marriage. And you make a commitment today to say, God, I, I confess that to you. I want to turn that over to you, and I want to start fresh. And God is faithful to forgive, because it's only through him that we can find the inner purity in our heart. Alone, we're going to lose this battle. In whatever ways we fight it. But together with him, there's a purification, there's a renewal, there's a holiness when we take communion at the end here. We talk about the Christ dying on the cross for that very sin and those very sins that you have committed already. I knew you were going to do that in your marriage. I knew you were going to do that before you got married. Um, it breaks my heart, but I'm dying for those sins. And there's forgiveness there if you seek that. And there's restoration. Now, some of you might be going, 
you know, you, you're thinking about your spouse and the unfaithfulness or the, the problems that have been there. You need to seek God and say, God, show me how I can forgive. Show, give me your grace. How can I find forgiveness in my spirit? How can we deal with this internal, inwardly? How can we deal with this outwardly? What are some safeguards, some boundaries we need to put into place? I don't know how God's dealing with you this morning as a couple, maybe individually. My sense is I'm sure there are some men here, especially that are dealing with some some issues related to pornography and those kinds of things. There may be some of you that are in your mind flirting with other relationships or something, social media, texting, maybe somebody at work, something that's not right. Allow God to speak into that this morning and say, from this day forward, I'm making a commitment. I'm going to start again. I'm going to start today. God, would you renew my spirit? Let's bow our heads.